Good morning, everyone. Members of the First Things First Alaska Foundation join us in the studio. Executive Director Don Habiger and board members Frank Bergstrom and Wayne Coogan join us. Good morning, you all. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Morning, Kevin. So let's start with the recent move by the EPA to undergo a multi-step process to enact the Clean Water Act over at uh, Bristol Bay, which would in effect block plans towards a copper and gold mine there Uh, we wanted to know your reaction certainly uh thank you kevin i i guess uh, i'll start with that um and i'd like to remind uh you and the and listener audience that the first things first foundation is an educational foundation that focuses on a strong economy through responsible economic development and natural resources management in southeast alaska primarily Um, with that um, our group would be would be would be very interested in allowing a permitting process to occur and not preemptive preemptively through political reasoning uh, strike down a project without the ability to prove that it can be done environmentally friendly. So overall, um, that would be our position on on uh, the pebble. Yeah, Kevin, this brings up a really kind of exciting issue here that we're we're looking uh, worldwide really now at this shift towards electric vehicles and solar and wind power as opposed to uh, chemical energy in the form of fossil fuels. So with this, this worldwide shift in the generation and consumption of energy, there's going to be a huge need for increased production of minerals, and in particular metals. And metals make up 90% of the periodic table. So that means just kind of like all the elements in the periodic table, we need a lot of those things in order to produce these products. So if we want to make that shift, and apparently we, we do as a culture, the, our certain our, our decision makers, uh, the people out there, how about you folks out there? Do you want an electric car? Um, the, the point being here that if everybody's going to have one of those and we're going to charge it with solar and and wind we need a lot of minerals to build those products to build the batteries that will store that energy overnight uh, or for whatever period of time to just facilitate that change in technology Uh, so your question about a copper mine in um, bristol bay area uh, just gets back to do we have a comprehensive policy here of of what we want to do with our technology and our society and what it's going to take to support that. If we want things that are made out of copper, but we don't want to mine copper, then there's going to be a a perfect storm here where we just can't get there from here. So we can go into that in greater detail. And you bring up a good point, Frank, because there's the Pebble Partnership CEO, uh, this is John Shively, he was quoted saying the project is important because it's a domestic, it's an important domestic source necessary for the administration's green energy goals. And as you were talking about, a lot of those products that are green require those minerals. And he further said that if Pebble is blocked, such minerals will be sought elsewhere. 
Yeah, there's a great little study out uh, kind of on a popular basis by Kite and Key Media, which is uh, posted on our Facebook site, or this is linked there, excuse me. And it points out things like, here's some critical minerals, cobalt, mined in Congo, and they use child labor, have no safety practices, uh, really a pretty socially regressive place to be producing minerals. Yet the world depends on the Congo for that cobalt. Uh, According to the Paris Climate Accords, the uh, to achieve the generation that we're looking at uh, for those accords, we're going to have to double our minerals output, double it. But here's the real kicker: that's just for the generation side. For the storage side, if we want to have the batteries to, to store this energy, because obviously at night the sun doesn't shine, and when nice calm days like today, the wind's not blowing, so we can't produce uh, wind energy. It's going to take a thousand times current worldwide mineral production to meet the needs of producing all that battery storage. So then there's places like Guinea that produce bauxite, and uh, they have critical chimp habitat there uh, so there's there's gives and takes around the world here and and we need to kind of think about what's the envelope here are we going to put a bubble around juno we're going to put a bubble around southeast alaska alaska the nation you know how far out are we going to look and then shade our eyes to say anything happens outside of our bubble we're not concerned about that you can have child labor you can kill the chimps you can do whatever as opposed to uh, what uh, uh, the folks at Pebble are talking about here, when you have domestic production, then you can control the environmental effects, you can control the labor, the safety, all those aspects you've got control over. We're the ones consuming this stuff. Maybe we should control uh, the production of those materials too. And so on the topic of these critical minerals, you mentioned cobalt. What are some of the others that folks may not be familiar with? Uh, some of the things, uh, well, let me refer to an infographic that I brought into the studio, and it, it is a, the World Bra- uh, Bank uh, puts it out, and it's minerals for uh, climate change. And just in uh, 20, uh, 2050 is, is kind of their time planning horizon. And here's some uh, need here. Uh, we're going to need uh, almost a thousand percent more lithium, which again is our EV batteries and all those other pieces. Uh, cobalt, Frank already mentioned, but graphite, we're going to need 383% uh, increase in graphite. And there is uh, an excellent graphite deposit out on the Seward Peninsula. So Alaska has the potential to produce that. And indium, uh, 241%. Uh, vadnium, and we're getting into those uh, kind of more rare earth uh, minerals, um, 173%. Uh, rare earth minerals that we rely on for our technology. Let me put that point on. Uh, nickel's not so uh, near, uh, rare earth, but uh, according to this report, we're going to need a 108% increase in, in mining. So uh, opportunity is there if we want to get to our end objective, and that is a clean environment. Let's just stab a number in here, Don, and that is that an electric car takes a little over 200 kilograms of metals, and that's a wide variety, you know, copper, lithium, nickel, manganese, cobalt, graphite, chromium, molybdenum, so on and so forth, zinc, Uh, whereas a conventional car requires about 60 kilograms, so 60 versus 200, that's an example of why it is we have to double production for just the generation side for our our consumable uh, items like cars and then of course we already talked about the really 
almost inconceivable increase of a thousand fold for energy storage. And when we're talking about what these minerals are being used for, we touched on EVs, for example, but what are some of the other items that uh, these minerals will need to go towards? Wayne? Uh, Thank you. Uh, And following uh, Frank's comments, uh, there's another aspect to to the rare earth elements, and that's the geopolitical aspect. Um, China uh, is estimated they have about 50% of the reserves, and we're talking about uh, quite exotic metals like gallium or germanium or wiridium. And these things are used in uh, the circuitry of solar panels and, and in the circuitry of wind vane generators, like, like uh, windmills. So um, the fact is, uh, with their reserves, they are now providing something like uh, over 90% of, of all the current uh, demand of these elements. Just all China right? alone. China alone, yeah. In other words, they've cornered the market. Not because of their reserves, but because uh, others, like the United States, have chosen to allow it, all right? So what we need to do is uh, look more holistically at the whole thing. And uh, the holistic thing, when I say a fully integrated approach to environmentalism, and that's what uh, uh, First Things First is, it's an environmental organization in a sense, but it's a holistic environmental organization. We're looking at, like Frank was explaining, what's going on in the worldwide view rather than just a particular stream you're trying to protect. And um, so if, if, you, uh, if you don't look at it that way, uh, you remember as a child, we used to look in the magazines and you'd see uh, images of foreign nations and you'd see a lot of poverty and, and, and lower standard of living in those images. Well, the tides are turning, times are changing. You, you know, they're now looking at images of the United States and seeing homeless encampments and, and, and violence and, and our decay of our culture. And this is all economic related. So we have to understand that if you're not a player, you're going to stand on the sidelines and you're going to suffer. Uh, and so but, a player in this sense would be a nation participating. Correct. Correct. And, but we have to get over this thing of looking to the past mistakes. Do you realize in 1918, during the pandemic, uh, the, the Spanish flu pandemic, 15% of the doctors in the United States were still bloodletting. Okay, does that mean because the, the doctors were, were not in, in, in full modern era at that time, we should never go to doctors again? It's the same things with mines. Mining has uh, uh, kept up with technology. It's all changed. It's not the same as it was 30 years ago or even 20 years ago. It's co- the, the world is changing with technology, and they're able to do it very very responsibly and, and what we need to do is look at helping them do so rather than just trying to shut them down because if we we're all going to suffer if we don't help them well it sounds like then the next point there is how do you get the regulations to follow with that innovation well kevin great question great question um i think it just gets back we could we could look at this at that overarching policy point is that if it is um our societal our government policy to change our energy consumption our means of producing it and our way of consuming it, uh, then we just gotta look at the whole policy. So if, if we need raw materials to produce those products so that we can consume them in a way that we find socially acceptable, then we have to have the whole policy. We have to be able to produce those minerals. So you're right, there's details, and those details are such things as, as uh, regulations. 
because it takes right now nominally 17 to 20 years to uh, bring a mine into production. So if we really want to make those transitions like these international accords say as the Paris Accords suggest and have things uh, largely uh, renewable energy uh, consuming by 2035, I believe is the number that's that's out there, um, we're already way behind the curve. So this this is something that should be very important. Uh, it should be um, uh, top and center on public policy. Uh, the other thing that we really haven't addressed so far is population. It's not just a matter of changing technology, but my goodness, uh, the, there's a lot of people in this world, and there's, and there's going to be a lot more. And we want those people to have a quality of life. We want them to enter the, the middle class. And uh, Wayne was just talking about when I, I was a kid, which was I, sometime back in the play to scene, I think, um, <laughs> that uh, my mom told me to eat my food because there was a starving child in China. Well, China doing pretty darn good right now. You know, they've really come along. So we're increasing the population in, this, in the middle class. And what does the middle class do? They consume things. We, we have a higher standard of living. We consume things. We enjoy life. We, we're more healthy. We have products available to us. So it's... Um, from thousands of years ago, we just had, uh, you know, 100 million people in the world. Now we're rapidly approaching 8, 9, 10 billion people. So different technologies and a lot more people want those technologies. That's what leads to this requirement of vastly greater uh, production of raw materials. So we got to get on board. we we got to get after this and we got to do it right. And with that population, they, of course, need jobs. So I imagine that's what we're also going to need to in order to produce these minerals. Well, it's just it's a feedback loop. If you're going to produce things, you've got to have uh, workers to do that. And so, uh, right, uh, we're employing people while we're creating the products to have them consume. That, that's what an economy really is. Goods and services, the production thereof and the consumption of them. The other piece to that, of course, is access to those resources. And uh, as we know, we've discussed the Tongass um, and having access to the Tongass and just policy that, that may prohibit uh, additional access. So those are a concern to organizations like ourselves. And so how has the roadless affected that? Uh, well, uh, currently we have the, uh, what, 2001 uh, exemption, um, and that does allow additional access. However, uh, we have an administration that uh, would like to repeal that. Uh, they're in that process, and we're waiting for them to uh, tell us what they want to do with that. And so we're kind of in this limbo area, if you will. And, and let's touch on that there that I think you've asked us the question in the in the past that yes. again this has nothing to do with logging it's all about whether we can have access to our communities in southeast whether we can bring renewable energy from the point of production to the point of consumption and so we need roads and power lines in order to interconnect our communities so that we can have this change in technology so that people in Cake don't have to have diesel generators so people in Huna again can be uh, well actually they're 
they're pretty close, you know, with the power line that came over to Greens Creek, but it's never been extended to Huna, uh, Pelican, uh, just all over the place. If, if we want to have these technologies, we, we've got to have the access, we've got to have transportation, and your question about the Tongass and the roadless rule is on point that that is something that is blocking, inhibiting, or curtailing that expansion of communication and transportation. Or more importantly, going back to that question about jobs, is discouraging investment from the private investor sector. Um, No jobs, no people. And so we touched on this for, you had touched on this for a moment, uh, Frank, you'd mentioned the mine up there in Seward, but I was hoping we could give the listeners a little bit of a picture. What are we mining here in Alaska that fits in with renewables? Okay, I'll try to do a brain dump here, and you guys help out on this one. But we've got uh, seven, essentially seven large mines in Alaska. Uh, the Red Dog is uh, really a tremendous, world-class deposit of zinc. If they're not the largest uh, zinc producer in the world, they're the second largest. And zinc is uh, necessary for health and all kinds of products, for the preservation of metals and uh, corrosion resistance. Uh, it, it, the, the zinc mine there, um, Red Dog, has... Uh, put out more 7i money which is the distribution of those profits to other native corporations than any other source there's billions of dollars that have gone into uh, uh, the Northwest Arctic and uh, Nana Corporation and all the villages and all the other corporations so it's just been a huge boom to the economy and employment in the area uh, then of course here right here in Juneau we've got Greens Creek and uh, Kensington producing gold uh, uh, and uh, lead, zinc, and accessories, silver. So, yeah, you know, you can never think of things right off the top of your head here, and I should have all those figures and facts in front of me, so my apologies to the listening audience to not be better prepared on that one, but uh, we're not producing a lot of the exotic minerals, the things that are um, produced in smaller quantities worldwide. Uh, Here's... um, I'll dodge your question and go to something a little bit close to it. Um, A lot of uh, minerals are produced um, base metals like iron, aluminum, lead, platinum, nickel, tin, zinc, and copper. Mm -hmm. And in the process, there's a lot of other minerals that are produced as byproducts. And that's where you get a lot of your cobalt, molybdenum. The exotics. Yeah, let's call them exotics. Iridiums is the rare earths that Wayne was talking about. So those things kind of come along for the ride. And at current production levels, that's nominally meeting the market. But let's say you need, well, let's, yeah, let's say we need a thousand times as much lithium as, as Don mentioned here. Are we going to increase uh, iron ore production by a thousand percent in order to get that? And I'm not saying that lithium comes from iron mine, but just as an example, uh, in order to get it as a byproduct, probably not. That's, that's an awful lot of iron ore. So we're going to have to look at deposits that specifically pr- produce these materials. And although I have an undergraduate degree in geology, I can't go through all the uh, geologic models for the occurrence of uh, economic deposits of lithium. It's nominally a, a salt that you can precipitate from but sea I think waters I see what and you're brines. saying. We have this mining activity in the state. And while they're mining for all those other minerals like aluminum, copper, mm-hmm. there along the way there will also be these other minerals that could help with that supply. Yeah, like aluminum, uh, gallium is a major byproduct of uh, the production of 
of uh, bauxite, which is the ore of aluminum. But here we get back to that political sphere. Most of that comes from Guinea, or not, let's not say most of it, but a large producer is Guinea. Now, what are the social, political, cultural issues in Guinea when it comes to producing bauxite? Probably not nearly uh, as um, socially acceptable as it is here in this country. So it comes back to the question gotta of access, look at, I Got to look at the big picture. You know, got to put all the pieces together, have a plan. We would agree with you on that access point. It does come back to that. You have to have access to your resources. And to go back to another use that we often miss is if you live in southeast Alaska, Alaska, you know you have hard rock mining, or at least that's our foundation. They were after gold. And gold has uh, many purposes. And if I was holding up my cell phone I would look at it and it would have gold in it because it's a great conductor of electricity and it's used in many things not just cosmetically and there's what are we on iPhone 11 at this point there's minerals needed for that too absolutely well, well, well Kevin the you'll see where the conversation begins to trend to and focus to is the changing technology in in our world like we just mentioned smartphones they have rare earth elements in them, but it's sourced from China. And, and uh, we need foresight. That's what we need. The most important thing is foresight to see where things are going and know where we need to position ourselves. And we need, we need to look at the past, issues that have occurred in the past with regard to the environment, but we don't need to be stuck in the past. We need to understand that with the changing technology, that means that, the, that the, these minerals, these needful minerals can be extracted using similar technology to make it happen safely and so that that's what we're talking about is staying up with the trends and and, and not not be a, turning a blind eye to it and that's what we that's what we're about is infor, inform, informing your listeners so they understand that we're sitting on uh, potential in alaska big potential and we can do it responsibly is there anything any of you would like to add before we close out today? It looks like we've used the balance of the program. <laughs> well, I think we really hit on something important here for people to think about is that holistic approach to life, uh, that our national policies of our drive is to go to these new technologies and new means of producing energy, storing energy, consuming energy, that we need to look at that big picture. And uh, right now the um, raw material side is is pretty opaque it's not being looked at and in fact we used to be the number one mineral producer the united states of america in the world we are now number seven so we're going backward we're producing less we're consuming more we're depending on others to do for us what we are not willing to do for ourselves so that's that's a very important point we could want to leave that with people and think about that for a while Thank you, Frank. If there's any time left, it, it would be that you can follow uh, the First Things First Foundation at their website at uh, ftfakfoundation.org. All right. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Wayne. After the break, I'll let you know who we'll be talking to tomorrow. <laughs> 